The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's 64 AD in Rome. Nero is the emperor. A fire breaks out which burns for six days, destroying a third of a city. Someone must pay. Christians are blamed for starting the fire, giving Nero, who was looking for an excuse to begin a persecution, the pretext that he needed. The Jesus followers were widely rounded up and many executed in the public circuses. Both Peter and Paul were in Rome at this time and were among the masses of arrests and martyrdoms and both died among their brothers and sisters. This is the theory, anyway, of their ends, although there is no historically verified eyewitness account. Although John the Evangelist makes a passing reference to Peter's death in the Gospel reading for, for today, the silence of the New Testament as to the details of their death may indicate that in the chaos of the persecution, no one was a witness and therefore no one could attest as to the actual events. And so it was left out. Early tradition places the site of their death at what is now St. Peter's Basilica. And some recent archaeological exploration appears to lend authenticity to this claim. The accounts that we do have are two stories of two remarkable men. Simon, later the rock, Peter, is the earthy, hot-headed, impulsive fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. Come, follow me, 
are the words that change a life bound for common obscurity into one that changes the world. At a moment of great testing, he fails and denies Christ. Yet by the day of Pentecost, preaches a sermon that sets the new Jesus movement into its mission. His great insight is that what God calls clean, he must not call profane. In other words, that Jesus has fulfilled the law, has inaugurated a new way of freedom. In the face of persecution and confusion, he becomes a nonviolent resistor to the power of fear. His life belongs to the one who has the power over death. In the letters attributed to Peter, the author points to the example of Christ, who, when he was abused, did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Saul, later Paul, the educated, zealous, theologically brilliant Pharisee, upholder of the letter of the law, persecutor of Christians, this new blasphemous sect, knocked down and blinded by a vision of the one he was persecuting. A few years of study follow, and then he is off across the Mediterranean, writing a third of the New Testament along the way. His great insight is that truth without grace is no truth at all. Paul became a nonviolent resistor of the power of legalism, the false belief in our own capacity to save ourselves, and a champion of the grace of God as pure gift. For Paul, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against cosmic forces of evil. The resistance takes on a new aim. Do not be overcome by evil, he says, but overcome evil with good. They met at least once, these two, but because they were so different, probably did not like each other very much. They realized that they had distinct callings and went in different directions, probably for the better. Yet there are common threads in their stories. Each had been called by Jesus, but also questioned by Jesus. Peter, with Jesus on the beach after the resurrection, do you love me? And Paul, in a vision of the glorified Christ, on his back on the road to Damascus, why are you persecuting me? The rest of their lives is the answer to these questions. In these questions, Jesus is speaking to the most painful moments of their lives. I call them nonviolent resistors because they had both been violent men. Peter's anger most dramatically seen in his cutting off the ear of the servant of the high priest in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is being arrested. Paul's mission to eradicate the new teaching that Jesus is Lord through his possibly direct or at least approved persecution, sometimes execution 
of Christians told in his condoning of the stoning of the deacon Stephen, the first martyr. In encountering Christ, they both had deep emotional upheavals in their world and had come into a profound encounter with their own acts of evil. And when the temptation would have been to wallow in guilt or self-pity or lash out at reminders of their failures, they chose the path offered them by Christ of forgiveness. They may at one time have boasted in their arrogance, but no longer. They realize that in their weakness was their greatest strength, in their own awareness of their reception of and need for mercy and forgiveness was the authority for their ministry. Their conversions and ministries are about the movement from violence to nonviolence. They knew firsthand the destructive power of violence. They knew that it was a tempting but dangerous delusion. It leads only to more suffering. The way of Jesus was the way of real power. This nonviolence is not docility or passivity in the face of conflict or crises. Far from it. Nonviolent resistance is resistance. It is the resistance of evil itself, not simply the evil person. It is about truth, the heart, about relationship. This gospel way of being does not ignore but transcends labels, alliances, and identities which the culture says should make people enemies. The Gospel says these differences invite us to the challenging work of compassion and care for one another. Peter and Paul came to live in a way that they knew that their witness was precisely in and through their imperfection. Their past failures did not define them, but became points of healing into humility and a new power. God used their raw, unformed, and distorted passion and converted it into the service of the good, of peace. True freedom was found in a greater vision, a grander purpose than attack or fear. Peter and Paul faced seemingly impossible challenges from persecution outside the church to division within it. For us, over the last few years, the cultural and theological rifts in this country have been widening. While there is progress as old accepted patterns of prejudice and power are being called out and an awareness of previously secreted forms of abuse are being exposed, debate and dialogue across political and cultural differences is as angry as ever. Some Christian voices are calling for us to go on with business as usual and focus solely on spiritual things, keep religion strictly to matters of the soul. Others want to make the church into an agent of advocacy for their own agendas and rally people against a common enemy 
with God on their side? Are these the only choices? Are these even good choices? Is it possible to be a Christian without colluding with the empire or burying our heads in the sands of isolation? The sources, the sacred texts, and the lives that created them speak afresh to these urgent questions. What we need is all there in the text. We can recover a theology and practice of faithful witness that makes respect possible if we recognize the gift that God offers of a justice without judgmentalism, a mercy without manipulation, and a grace that is free but not cheap. It is one thing to say we will respect the dignity of every human being. Then, when a particularly undignified human being tests our theology, we get to see what is really in our hearts. If we watch and read Peter and Paul seriously and carefully, we will discover that it is possible to stand for justice and peace and against oppression for all people without doing verbal or social violence to anyone and while pointing to the source and aim of our true unity and peace. But this respectful, evil-resisting way can only come when we are aware of our own tendencies towards arrogance and defensiveness, towards the impulses of division and blame that live within us. The greatest witness to spiritual maturity is not the skill with which I hit back at my perceived enemies, but my commitment to witness to a way of peace that sees the one I label other as one for whom Christ also died and was raised. Peter and Paul would be the first to tell us that their service is not first about their great skill, their excellent administrative abilities, or advanced theological training. Though they evangelized, preached, and pastored the people God entrusted to them, they were great apostles and servants because they knew who they were. The greatest gift we can give a family, a community, church, and world is the grounding and gratitude we have in our true identity. We are forgiven people. We are people who have received God's grace and mercy. We are people who have overcome and are overcoming evil with good. When we remember that, then we will see our brothers and sisters in Christ living before God just as we do. In that unity, we find our common heart and life. We find community. The renewal to which these saints call us is hearing Jesus' questions to them as questions to us. Do you love me? Why are you persecuting me? Do you want to be countercultural? Do you want to stand up to the forces of spiritual wickedness? Then really break away from the crowd. Be courageously kind. Be honest and humble about who you are and what you believe. Listen and learn from those who are different from you. Live a love that exposes the empty powers and principalities of the world that would divide us.
We conquer not by the sword, but by the power of the overcoming powerlessness of love. 